Warning, this podcast contains adult content, including frank discussions of sex and lots and lots of swear words. Enjoy! I was wanting it and prepared enough that there was only pressure and a yielding, both of them sweet and dark and perfect, like the burn of good whiskey going down. His cock moved with the same surety as his fingers, slow and steady, though at the last he pulled away, hooked his hands beneath my thighs and thrust deep, bringing us both to such a glorious collision of intimate flesh that I tossed back my head and cried out in what may be Mr. Dickens, had he dared to write the good stuff, might have called a carnal glossolalia. Neil. Yes? What does glossolalia mean? I'm so glad you asked, Claire. Oh, glossolalia is incomprehensible speech in an imaginary language, sometimes occurring in a trance state as an episode of religious ecstasy or schizophrenia. Oh, that guy came so hard he made up words. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Amazing. Amazing. Neil. Yes. We're doing a podcast. We are doing a podcast. Against all odds. They told us we couldn't do it. (laughs) They told us we shouldn't do it. They even put a pandemic in front of us and we said, fuck you gods. Fuck you forever. We're doing this shit. (laughs) Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Claire. And this is FMK Lit. Where we read two romance novels. A straight one and a queer one. And then we play Fuck, Mary Kill with the characters. We sure do. Uh, lots of spoilers. All the spoilers. If you've come here for a review, congratulations. You are in the right place. You have come here for all the things you desire, except we're telling you the beginnings, the middles, and the ends. And if you don't want those... Man, here there be monsters. The ins, the outs, the comings, the goings, the glossolalias. <laughs> so if you don't want spoilers, go read the books and then come back and have a discussion with us. We will mostly be talking and not listening to you, but we still value your input. Indeed, indeed, indeed. <sighs> oh, Neil. Yes. Neil. Yes. Neil. Yes. What books did we read? I'm so glad you asked, Claire. We read The Stowaway Debutante, Tales of the mm-hmm. Captain Duke, Book One by Rebecca Diem, mm-hmm. and Prosperity by Alexis Hall. And what was the theme? The theme was steampunk. Steampunk! And the secret theme was, like, airships. Of course. But, uh, okay, so, like, for those uh, uninitiated, what mm-hmm. is steampunk? Steampunk is, and I'm sure someone has a better definition than I, but basically steampunk is like speculative Victorian history in which um, uh, technology, steam power technology advanced in such a way so as to basically be like today's technology. So robots, there are lots of robots like mechani- or automatons, steam-powered automatons, and like lots of airships and things of that nature. There is uh, it's not uncommon for there also to be a supernatural element, a la vampires and werewolves. Um, one of the books we read has a very Lovecraftian uh, color painted all over it. Mm-hmm. Um so that's steampunk. It's fun. If you if you enjoy 
you know, like Victorian, a Victorian comedy of manners and a Victorian adventure, but wish that there were uh, robots and the like, steampunk is for you. It is. It is. If you like wearing goggles, but you like them to have a brassiness to them, (laughs) steampunk is for you. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy corsets? But do you also like guns? Steampunk is probably for you. <laughs> There's um, uh, a steampunk series that I very much enjoy where the main character has a little, like, robot dog. Like, it's very tight. Like, it's a little mechanized lap dog. And for her to... And she... It has compartments, so she uses it to, like, um, hide things. And when she needs to sneak it in somewhere, she just pretends that it's her very fashionable reticule. She's like, oh, no, no, it's my reticule. And it, like, knows to stay still and pretend to be a little handbag. And it's great. I love it. I love it. That's adorbs. I'm a fan of the genre. So. But, Neil, but first. Yes. What has got you hot and bothered? My body continues to rebel against me. (laughs) How so? Let me tell you what. So, I have learned during this pandemic, during quarantine, that I am a social drinker. I drink a fair amount, probably more than I should, but only ever socially. So when I'm at home by myself, I very rarely drink. So because of that, I've become an absolute lightweight. (laughs) So that's embarrassing. What's more is now my body seems to skip the fun part of drinking. So last night, I was having a game night with some friends via the internets, of course, and I had two whiskey gingers. Granted, I poured them so they were stronger than the average whiskey ginger. But I only had two of them. There was one point in the evening where I felt sort of buzzed, and then when I woke up today, it wasn't hungover, but it's that kind of like, oh, I had one drink too many, and like, I feel off and kind of icky. After two drinks, and I didn't feel buzzed. I was buzzed. There was like a five-minute window. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then it just went away. But then now it's just like, oh, I'm so damn thirsty, and I want a hamburger. <laughs> Even though I didn't get to be drunk. Like, what is going on? So now now I'm worried that for the rest of my life, my body's just going to be like, oh, we're going to process this alcohol so quickly that you're not going to get drunk, but you're just going to be hungover no matter what. It's cheaper. Oh, no, because I don't get the fun part. I'm just sitting there continuing to drink, not feeling anything, and then I pay for it the next day. It's awful. Oh, oh, our bodies, our stupid bodies. Stupid, fleshy meat sacks. <laughs> Claire, what has got you hot and bothered? Well, my husband and I were talking, and it, we somehow got on the um, we somehow got on the subject of famous people who graduated from our high schools, and both of us were like, "No famous people graduated from our high schools." <laughs> So I'm not even sure how we got on this topic, but Matt was like, well, I'm going to look up. So he looked up Moon Valley High School, which is in Arizona and Phoenix, where he graduated from. And there is a famous person who graduated from his high school. Who? This is after he did maybe 10, 15 years. So I'm not Mm -hmm. really sure. 
Um, oh, it's the QAnon shaman. <laughs> oh my god! Of all the people. Oh my god! I, I, thought I mean, this when I something fun. No, I mean, when I looked mine up, it was actually the lead singer of the Shins. He graduated mm. from my high school, as did the director for all of the Austin Powers movies. <laughs> okay. And let me tell you what, if I'd have known that at the time, when I was in high school, when those movies came out, I would have just been, like, over the moon. Now I'm like, oh, well, cool, uh, I guess. I guess, yeah. I do, I do still like the shins, so that's fine. But, um, yeah, the QAnon shaman went to okay. Moon Valley High School. Oof. I, I've never looked to see if famous people have graduated from my high school, but there was a famous person at my graduation. Uh, Mr. T's son was in my graduating class. So, and I, I didn't know him, and I didn't even know that that was a thing until, like, the last month of senior year, and someone's like, oh my god, Mr. T's going to be at our graduation. I was like, what? Is it? Yeah, his son goes, it's this person. I'm like, I have never seen this human being before in my life. <laughs> but okay, sure. I mean, the same thing happened in college at the department graduation. People were showing up. It's like, I've been here for four years, and I have no idea who the fuck you are, but you're in my department? Okay, I guess. <laughs> sure. Anyway. Anyway. But that has gotten me hot and bothered, and I just that's, thought I wanted to share it. <laughs> that's I feel bad for, for Matt now, your husband. I mean, it's dumb as hell, but it's funny, so fuck it. <laughs> Great. Great. Um, okay, let's talk about some books. Let's talk about these books. The Stowaway Debutante, Tales of the Captain Duke Book One by Rebecca Diem. Listeners, this one's a little long, so you can just kind of skip it if you feel like it. Airships pirates and hidden identities when clara dreamed of running away to seek her own adventures she never imagined that a chance encounter with the legendary captain duke might set her life on an entirely different course armed with her wit and charm clara can usually talk her way out of any troubles but first she has to get back to solid ground dot 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 clara stole a quiet breath of relief when the loud man's oh no, that's just an excerpt from the book. We don't need to read that. A novella of around 21,000 words. To listen to the first chapter of the Stowaway Debutante, visit... Here's a website. Okay, that was... The, so, if you skip, sorry. Some of it was just part of the book that I didn't read. Okay. So, Claire. Yeah? That's, that's what that book says it's about. What is this book about? I mean, much like the synopsis, uh, Blink and You Miss It is this particular book. <laughs> oh my, it's, oh my god, it's so short. It says that it's like 120 something pages. That includes the excerpt from the next book. So in my e-version, it's only like 80 something pages and it's like double spaced. Yeah, yeah, no, it took like no time to read this at all um and also uh this is not a novella this is um no I'm, it's a you know, short story it's a short story it's, it's fine. a long short story yeah it's fine i would say like um short has like the title of the story is absolutely um how i became a pirate or how a pirate accepted me onto his ship that's fine like um 
But good lord, uh, this needed so much more. <laughs> like, right? Like it was empty of things. And it had it had the foundations. Okay, there's it's our, our stowaway debutante who has her her wit, and she's in a ball gown. She ha- apparently had to flee so quickly that she's in a ball gown. Who's trying to make her way? Which I the, love. I love. Yes, the handsome and rakish airship pirate captain. There's the first mate, who's the gentle giant that like is intimidating but takes our main character under his wing. There's the quartermistress, who's like the saucy lady who who the main character has to win over. There's the precocious children. Like it has all of the archetypes that you want on a pirate ship and then it's in the air and then nothing nothing yeah yeah i would say like this is this is all the pretty good first chapters of a book and i do understand like that these books connect to each other quite obviously mm-hmm. but and so it's almost like it's serialized not really a book itself Oh, also fine, also fine. There was, it's just, there were things in this that made me laugh out loud. One, at first I thought you had made a mistake because she meets um, Nessa, who is the quartermaster. And Mm -hmm. um, the way that Nessa was described, the way that they looked at each other, I was like, oh, no, this is a lesbian romance. Oh, no, Neil made a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, two queer books this time. Oh, no. Oh, no. But then I was like... (laughs) Neil hates it when that happens. (laughs) But I was, like, super excited. And then, not to spoil anybody for the book coming up, then I thought I was like, oh, what if she just fucks everybody on the ship? I think I'm on board with that. (laughs) Sure. And, like, honestly, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm on board. Like, (laughs) um, but then we finally meet Captain Duke, and let me just tell you, this name never sat well with me. Like, because he is a duke. So it's it feels like it should be Captain Duke Richard or something like but it's just Captain yeah. Duke and it feels like it just feels like two titles smashed together as, yeah. if, as if it was like Captain Middle Manager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it should be the Captain Duke of Mowbray or whatever. Right, and I also feel like Uh, And I was trying to talk myself out of this particular argument because Duke is a name. It can be a first name or a last name. Mm -hmm. And, like, Captain King is obviously a thing that's, like, a name. What if his his name is Duke Duke? Duke Duke. He's he's the title. He has the title of Duke and his last name is Duke. So if he decides to take the moniker of Captain, he would still be Captain King. Duke. So but Captain what if Duke, he's, Duke, Duke. What if he's an like actually, Lord Gabriel, Saint Vincent, Saint Vincent, Lord Gabriel? Neil. What if yes. he? What if his name is Earl, and he's actually an Earl who is also the Duke of Earl? So he's like Captain Earl, Duke, Duke of Earl. Yes, I love it. <laughs> I also feel that it would have been fine if there was like a descriptor before Captain. So like. The Dread Captain Duke. Oh, yeah. That would have been great. Yeah. Then that would have solved that because because that also speaks to like, oh, yeah, he's a gentleman pirate. And like part of why it's so upsetting is because he's bucking the aristocracy and like, oh, if we the aristocracy can't maintain, you know, the patriarchy and capitalism and 
this very rigid social class. If we can't do it, then it's all going to tumble for naught and we're going to get eaten during the revolution, which, yes, please. But that none of that was in there. Yeah, so, okay, so here we find Clara, who has uh, stolen aboard a merchant vessel, and... She's hanging about. She's very excited. She escaped. She she escaped from her family, but FYI, her family is maybe on board with her having escaped. We never find that out. Mm-mm. Um, I hate. I don't mind when we're kept when information is kept from us, the reader. Mm-hmm. I hate when that information must needs be kept from other characters and they decide to also keep it from us. Fuck you, I'm in her head. She is narrating her parts herself. I do not need that information kept from me. Mm-hmm. That is okay to tell me that. And it just makes me feel like the writer herself didn't know what it was right. yet. and so Or if it was a choice to keep that information from us until a very specific moment tease at the information in a way that's that is exciting for us and makes us want to figure out what happened yeah but i don't have any and like and she kept she and i do mean the writer the writer kept making this book softer and softer so the pirates were not such a mary sue we can get into it but like it's so uninteresting to read people who, who are just like suddenly good at everything and yeah. just so pleasant all the time and don't have any hang-ups, secrets, fears. Yeah, no. I mean, Ugh. and even, like, why she ran away, it kind of sounds like it was okay with everybody that she oh. ran away. So the okay. danger, what this she was, ran away from. This was my biggest thing. Like, okay, we characters need to want something because uh-huh. that propels them to do things. And then they are impeded by themselves other characters plot happenings and and that's the struggle and that's what a story is reading this book this long short story it seemed like clara wanted to get away from her family great that's that's a that's a good want for a plucky young woman in steampunk england but the beginning of the novella she's away from her family yeah. So she's achieved the thing, and she doesn't want a new thing other no. than to like hang out with these pirates. But but we don't know why. Like, well, yeah, her plan is actually to just get to London and disappear into the crowd. She she actually has no further plan after that. So there's no like sense of what she plans on doing with her life. And we find out that her father recently died, which has made her sad. Um, her brother has helped her escape. She's even wearing her brother's overcoat. Her mother is visiting someone in Europe. So, um, family, so she even mentions that some of her family, some people who may actually be looking for her will just go to her mother in Europe to see if she's there. And she even is a little sad that she didn't get a chance to tell her mother she was going. So actually I have no idea who she's running from. No. Uh, or why she left. We don't right. even get a sense of why she left, other than she wanted to, but we don't know why. Yeah. And then we get on this pirate ship, which is Robin Hood in the sky, and they're yep. just stealing grain. Um, and we find this out because Our Lady Clara is f- come to find out what she thought was grain that she was hiding amongst is actually gunpowder. And the pirates are like, shit, gunpowder. We were looking for grain. And I'm like, what the fuck is this book? (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm sorry, we're not going to steal gunpowder? I kind of thought gunpowder is important, even if you don't necessarily, like, for sure you could sell gunpowder somewhere, right? Like, and use the money to buy grain? I don't know what the fuck your problem is. Or use the gunpowder to steal grain from other ships. Right. And Which then, is like, what you're doing the whole time. Yeah, and then, like, Ugh. the other issue is, like, at first she's like, hey, everybody, uh, no shooting down here because this place is full of gunpowder. And all I could think was, like, I mean, I guess if you shoot gunpowder, it's bad. Yeah, it's because it's so combustible. Right. But they never indicated, like, the late Ness, Nessa, or Nessa, who was doing this, was going to shoot the man. She wasn't going to shoot the gunpowder. <laughs> like, she wasn't wildly aiming her gun all sure. around at the different barrels. I do but, understand there was a danger, but I was like, yeah, she was going to shoot the man. Because <laughs> also, it's like a flintlock pistol. It's not like a a Beretta or something that can aim very well. And then also the gun has the possibility of misfiring. Oh, for sure. But honestly, yeah, all could have been explained. It could have been explained. The stakes could have been shown. Also, other people were shooting kind of nearby this earlier. So I was like, honestly, we really should have just risen that like, this should have been more immediate. This should have been something like, and like we just like come out and have Clara say this instead of just showing us and giving us more examples. And it was like, at no point did I ever actually feel the stakes were very high. Mm -hmm. Even when they attacked that other ship to try to get their grain. And it turns out it's full of soldiers and they easily overcome the pirates. And Clara has to save the day by pretending to be a lady. Um, After they already attacked the ship and she's like, no, we'll trick them. And it's like, what? Though I did kind of enjoy that she just, like, ladied at them so much that the officers were just like, I don't know what to do. I don't, she might be crying. Just give her what she wants. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I totally loved that. I thought that was great. Mm -hmm. um, it was super fun for what is obviously a very gentle story. Mm -hmm. Like, so the stakes are low. Clara's good at everything. Our captain is handsome. The worst thing he does to Clara is kind of assume she might be maybe a spy. And Clara is offended at this for no reason I could tell. Because mm -hmm. wh what reason does he have to believe that she isn't? So it's like, well, I don't understand why this is offensive to anybody. <laughs> like, and that's like the most jerky thing he does. There's the, 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 the extent of the romance is the two of them looking at each other thinking they're hot. Mm-hmm. The romance obviously goes into the next book, so that's not where we are. Like, here it's just, can Clara become a quote-unquote pirate? And the answer is yes. Yes. I have two more things to say, and then that's really all I have to say about this book. One is there is a brother-sister duo on the ship. They're like... Cat and Mouse. 12 and 10 or something, and their names are Catherine and Morris, so they go by Cat and Mouse, and I thought that was so fucking cute. And then um, here's something. I'd like to read you a passage from the author's note. Did you read the author's note, Claire? No, I did not. Great. This will be, this is world building that will be entirely new information for you. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and this is the very first paragraph of the author's note. 
In the steampunk universe of the Captain Duke, a royal declaration by Queen Victoria in 1866 that was intended to secure her hold on the throne after the death of her husband had the unintended consequence of legitimizing gender equality years before it actually happened in ours. The subsequent advancements in steam-powered and mechanized technology helped to put Britain at the forefront of global development, thanks to the doubling of its national brain power as young women joined the ranks of engineers, scientists, and inventors. N not, none of that was referenced in the actual story. Yeah, I feel like I remember a little bit about Queen Victoria, and, uh, well, because her and Nessie were talking, and <clears throat> she's like, well, Queen Victoria, and Claire is like, well, Queen Victoria did all these great things for her gender, and Nessie's like, they are temporary at best, mm -hmm. because uh, Queen Victoria's gonna die one day, and you think the dudes who are, like, uh, just hanging about waiting for her to die are gonna keep all of these things, and then they're gonna keep all the cool things we did, but dump us out the side, and I was like... Oh, okay. <laughs> so what I so our author did that world building and I'm like, okay, so then why doesn't Clara come from a traditional family who's not on board with these new gender equality changes, but she wants to become an engineer and that's why she's leaving and trying to go to London and then oh I'm on an airship, they need an engineer, I want to learn to be an engineer. I mean, yeah. That's, that's it. That's the problem solved. But no, Neil, she no. wants to be some sort of diplomat person. Like, Does that she, is though? Actually, all of her reading is apparently diplomacy. And I was like, why? <laughs> this is the most boring. Also in Machiavelli, which is not diplomacy. And that cracked my shit up. <laughs> I know. Yeah, she was quoting Machiavelli. I was like, wait, really? That's how you're going to, like handle these very delicate negotiations is that the ends justify the means like what are you doing yeah but she was also quote of, quoting machiavelli the way people who followed like who followed the like that particular the prince book like like as if it's gospel not the way machiavelli not the way it was written which was as a parody mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh. i was like surely a lady would know the difference an educated lady. An educated lady. So, you know, and it was fine. I, I get the feeling like if I had the whole book, I, you know, maybe there would be, I would enjoy it a little bit more. It just, it felt very threadbare. And not, and, and the thing is, because I read this one second, because this, the other book we read is just a little bit longer than this one. Mm-hmm. And was chock-a-block full. <laughs> chock-a-block. So it felt like this one was like a marshmallow, and the other one was a five-layer cake. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it felt it like, and I and I, I am very sorry, Rebecca Diem, but it did make your book feel like you worked not at all on it. <laughs> yeah, this felt like the trailer for someone's like YouTube series passion project that you're like, I mean, like I'll give it a shot. Like I'll write, I'll watch the second episode just because like this, the, the setup is, is a good, is an interesting one. I felt, but it's just like, I don't know who these characters are or what they want, which of course is like the thing that you need to get across in the pilot. So, right. I mean, it takes all of the danger out. Like, the, any of the fun stuff that could be dangerous, like learning to fly on a glider yourself. We don't even get that from her perspective. We get that from the captain just looking at how good she is at it. And Climbing, she picked it up right away as right if she away. were born to it. 
climbing the riggings real high. She just climbs. No big deal. And doesn't even worry about it. Like, um, that she's on a board with pirates. There's no death. There's no murder. There's no, like, none of that. And even when there is, we don't really get a good sense of it. Um, like, dealing with, uh, like, and, and when they get on, they're like, oh, look, there's separate cabins for women, so we don't have to worry about that. We all feel very safe, and, uh, you know, actually, everybody on board is really nice. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's good. I'm really glad this is an enlightened airship. Hooray. Yeah. Where is the danger? We're in the sky. For fuck's sake, at least make the heights dangerous. <laughs> if not the, the fucking pirates. And the, the tiniest bit of danger involved Nessabit getting kidnapped, not Clara. Right. Oh, but for as fucking enlightened as this goddamn writer wants to be, and I'm sorry. <gasps> White lady authors, you pull this shit all the motherfucking time where you're like, you know what? We should have equality for women and oh, it's airships and all of this thing. But you know what there still is? Motherfucking racism. And how much? So much that she refers to a whole group of people as Orientals without uh -huh. blinking a fucking eye. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like that's There's... the author it's not like and, and i know like if i were to say this to her she's like well it's appropriate for the time period fuck you you were the one who raised up women and said oh their brain power is so amazing that they can just make steamships even though it's not like they had the education previous to victoria coming into office or queenship or whatever it's not coming like they were all thrown I mean, it's not like they were all suddenly like, you know what I got? I have knowledge of how to build airships. I mean, maybe Fuck they you, did. Lady. It seems I... like people just pick things up right away here. Another thing, too, um, along the same line, is it, there's, a, there's a scene where everybody's dancing. Mm -hmm. And it's very, like, in the, in the galley. It's very sweet. And, um, oh, and of course, Clara has a beautiful singing voice. Of course. Of course. Which, that one I kind of buy, because she's, she's... A lady of the gentry. Be, yeah. So she, yeah. Anyway, so there's a part where they're they're dancing, and it's like, oh, she sings this song, and like this person is Irish, so they do this dance, and then one of the brown the brown skinned uh, sailors did a dance from his homeland. Moving on, it's just like, uh, you're what? Oh, they're all the same over there yeah. where brown people live. Like what? Yeah. Sorry, like, you cannot write speculative fiction and make everything nice and pleasant, super cushy, and then just still do a racism. <laughs> <laughs> I did a racism. <laughs> you, you, don't yeah. get, you don't get to do that. Like, and you know what? If you want to write that in as part of the world building and an unfortunate side effect of what Victorian England was absolutely like, and with airships, fine, then you still got to have rape. Like, like, I'm sorry. You have to also include the other fucked up things that are in the world. And also, I don't know, be basically afraid of fucking heights? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck think, right off. I think that's enough, yes? I'm, I'm done with this book. <laughs> <laughs> Prosperity by Alexis Hall. Milady's name is Shadowless because she's the fastest ship in the sky. And she ain't no everyday airship, she's an ether ship. Meaning she don't need engines nor turbines, naught but an aeromancer and the stars to guide her. 
When luckless Dill falls half-dead onto the deck of a, of a skyship shadowless, he joins the outlaw crew haunted by visions of Maelstrom. Driven by a ruthless captain, guided by a pilot with madness in her eyes, they hunt the power that holds up the clouds until it turns to hunt them. Neil, yeah. that was that book. Uh-huh. Is that's what that book says it is. What is the book actually? The captain is not ruthless. The captain is not ruthless at the all. The captain is of Yeah, that. no. We'll we'll get into it. Also, uh my my uh book jacket is different from yours. Interesting. Well, read yours. Okay. Sorry listeners, but you got to Prosperity by Alexis Hall. A breathtaking tale of passion and adventure in the untamed skies. Prosperity, 1863, a lawless sky town where varleys, chancers, and ne'er-do-wells risk everything to chase a fortune in the clouds, and where a gaslight gutter-snipe named Piccadilly is about to cheat the wrong man. This mistake will endanger his life and his heart. Thrill as our hero battles dreadful kraken above prosperity. Gasp as the miracles of clockwork engineering allow a dead man to wreak his vengeance upon the living. Marvel at the aerial escapades of the ether ship shadowless beware the licentious and unchristian example set by the opium addled navigatrice miss gray disapprove strongly of the, <laughs> utter moral, of the utter moral iniquity of the dastardly crime prince my lord swoon at the dashing sky captain byron k swoon again at the tormented clergyman Ru- reuben crow this volume, available for the first time on mechanical book-reading devices, contains the complete original text of Piccadilly's memoirs as first serialized in All the Year Round. Some passages may prove unsettling to unmarried gentlemen of a sensitive disposition. That is lovely. That is I so much like fun. the author wrote this one, but not the other one. No, agreed. The, uh, I also uh, I, I listened to the audiobook for this. Oh, okay. So I did not. So I, I, mine is coming from the audiobook's description mm. of it. Um, although I did like that one that you read is much better. It's and much better. Uh, true. Like that <laughs> is what this is in this book. And accurate. Okay. So let's, let's get into it. So there is a city in the clouds called Prosperity that, of course, because it's called Prosperity, is not prosperous at all uh like people go up there okay so there's this thing i'm gonna forget what it's called it doesn't really matter this like material that can be mined out of the sky that is used for power it's ether isn't it no it's it's um, oh ether yeah 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 it's the other like glabalon or something yeah 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 it's not that dumb but it's so it's basically like a mining town where people go and they're going to chase they're going to find the the motherlode and chase their fortune and then fall into poverty because no one has found the motherlode so it's a, or if you do you get the fuck out of prosperity so it's like a poor mining town um where one uh former gutter stipe piccadilly lives uh his name is Piccadilly because he picked it himself and someone that he grew up with talked about how he was going to go to Piccadilly Circus and the way he talked about it sounded so magical. And so Piccadilly was like, that's my name. And then he went to Piccadilly Circus. He's like, Circus is just a fancy name for a round street. <laughs> so, which is true. Um, yeah. So he is in prosperity and 
he recognizes he he goes to the saloon to play a game of poker and recognizes from his past life down in uh london the the seedier parts of london a crime lord named Milord, and decides because he knows that he makes a bad decision sometimes decides to cheat Milord at poker and steal a bunch of his money Milord is basically jack the ripper yeah basically. fyi like yeah. uh like a known person of violence who once they've decided to do violence it's known that they're you're gonna die like that's yeah. it's just the end and he he specializes his his specialty is like slitting people's throats in such a way um so there's that and then Milord catches on to piccadilly cheating him chases him through prosperity piccadilly gets to the docks climbs up on a sky hook put a pin in that um and then gets shot in the shoulder passes out and wakes up and he's in the cabin of this beautiful ethership called the shadowless and that's where he meets the crew and they go on adventures but it also turns out that the shadowless has been hired by Milord to go mine this very combustible material in a sky claim that he has shenanigans ensue this book oh god this book is so good in this book okay so here is the <sighs> thing when i got most of the way through this book i thought well we're the wrong podcast for this um <laughs> for a couple of reasons but one of it being like we could do a podcast where we just go through this book chapter by chapter and talk about all of the things it was like the richness of the language mm -hmm. the loveliness of the way of the world building uh, i think it's uh from jump you are immediately thrust into this world and the writer puts it in such a way that you understand where you are you understand who the characters are that you're surrounded by you understand what they want uh, there's there's allusions to other books like um like there's a whole passage at the very beginning that is just an allusion to moby dick so that it, as if you feel like that's where you're going to jump into so it feels familiar and literary because it is and uh piccadilly as as our narrator is utterly fun to read so fun and he is a uh, 100% uh, he knows enough about himself to realize that he makes mistakes, but he is not so self-aware that as you're reading it and knowing some of the mistakes he doesn't know he's making, you can still follow along and have hope and mm -hmm. excitement for him. So it's not like he's not so self-aware that you can't yell at the book, no, go do this other thing. Um, <laughs> but he is self-aware enough that he can still be this really active narrator. And it's mm -hmm. oh, super fun. It is. And it's fun too, because the, um, the book in Piccadilly's like timeline, the book is written after the fact. So there are moments where he's like, and of course this is what was happening, but I didn't know that at the time. So here's this dumb thing I did. Um, and part of part of his uh, journey in this narrative is that the captain of the ethership, Byron Kane, is it Kane? I can't read my own writing. Um, teaches Piccadilly how to read because he is illiterate. And so something that's interesting 
is um, the beginnings of these chapters have that thing from uh, Byron K. Sorry, have the thing from the time. Where it's like this is everything that's going to happen in this chapter. And it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. And I'm reading it. I'm like, there's a reason why we don't do this anymore. Oh, I've always loved it. I love it every time. So I'm I'm still way on board. I like, so the previous book had it too, but it was just like a single sentence. It's like, oh, where this thing happens. It's like, okay. And this is like, it was in this book, Prosperity, it was, there were a couple jokes in there and it was funny, but it, it was like a block of text each time. It's like, ugh, I don't need all of this personally. But then... As Byron Kay is teaching uh, Piccadilly how to read, they start reading Oliver Twist, and that has that, like, in Oliver Twist, it's like, here's what's going to happen in in the chapter. Because they started reading some of Reuben Crow's books, which are, like, very philosophical and, like, above Piccadilly's reading comprehension, definitely. Um, And then also outside of his experience... So when they're reading Oliver Twist and this happens and Piccadilly's like, oh, this is great. Now I'm not going to get lost because I know what's going to happen in the chapters. And I'm like, oh, and this book does it too because it's his memoirs and that's how he learned to read. And it's just like, ah, it was still a little much for me. But the fact that it was like, it tied into the narrative and like the emotional growth of the character. I'm like, this is brilliant. This is amazing. This is fantastic. As opposed to just like, parroting the style because that's what was done at the time which is there's nothing wrong with that like if you like it's kind of an immersion thing right that like oh i'm gonna write this book i'm gonna add these elements of literature from the time to help the reader feel like they're more in the time and and that's great but this was like tied into piccadilly's emotional journey i'm just like ah, and and every moment with byron k is just the absolute best because they are such a wonderful human being that's just like oh it's so sweet these moments that they share uh, uh, byron k also is shadowless like they yes. are they are the ship and the ship is part of themselves so it's uh it's less that they are two separate entities but through uh the magic of the ether like they are uh connected so when we're in a fight later in the book and there's a uh, a harpoon thrown into the side of the ship. Byron is the one that like feels it and it like gets in there, uh, gets in inside of them. And to heal Byron, they have to heal the ship. Yeah. So and that was really interesting, and I thought, well done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, let's talk about the romance. <laughs> yes. Okay. So either. Either this is a book where the romance is about Reuben and Milord, but we get it from Piccadilly's perspective, or it's a romance about Piccadilly and Byron that will continue later. Because there are more books. They don't. They're not a series, but there are more books that exist in this universe. So maybe the relationship between Piccadilly and Byron continues. But basically, like, Piccadilly falls in love with Reuben, who's on the ship, and who's sort of like a disgraced minister, who sounds sexy as hell. So, oh, so sexy. But Reuben is in love with Milord. And of course, Piccadilly's like, why? He's a monster. And it's like, oh, because Reuben believes in the good in everyone, and like, the things that he... He loves Milord because he sees like 
what he can become instead of what he is, which of course my lord bristles against, etc. It's very well done. But then Piccadilly is like, well, I, I want them to break up, but like there's nothing I can really do about it. And then there's a point where they do, they get into a fight because uh, because of my lord being selfish is what causes uh, Byron K and the ship to become injured. So then Ruben's like, you risked all of us just for your, just for like pride, not even for anything, just for pride. So they have a falling out and then Piccadilly's like, oh, great, it's my chance. And then he and Ruben hook up. They have a very great sex scene, which I read from. Uh, Piccadilly is, speaks in imagined languages because of how good the sex is. But then even in that moment, he realizes it. Now Ruben's still in love with Malord, and like he's only having sex with me right now, not because I am me, but because I'm not Malord. And he just yep. hasn't figured out that he's still in love with him yet. And it's very sad. It's very, um, it's very heartbreaking. And so it's just like, okay, is that the romance? Because th- this was billed to me as a romance novel. I found a list of like great queer romance novels. This was on it, so it's like, great, it's a romance. But it's like, is is that the romance? And it just doesn't have a happily ever after. And then some would argue that that's not a romance then. Or is is all of this part of the journey of Piccadilly and Byron Kay's romance that is not answered in this book? I mean, I think that was one of the things that I really loved about this. You could tell Byron Kay really liked Piccadilly. You <sighs> could tell that Byron Kay was crushing hard on Piccadilly so and hard. and that Piccadilly didn't feel like he deserved Byron Kay didn't feel like they were in the same league at all um also sort of in some way I think until later almost saw Byron as sort of a sexless mm-hmm. person like a person without those sorts of attachments even uh even when uh, Piccadilly was uh, interested in them sexually, also didn't actually think that they could mm-hmm. act on it until Piccadilly sees uh, Malord and um, Reuben having sex with each other and watches the whole thing and is like, I have to go to my cabin and beat off and I have to go do that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be healthy. It's not going to be good for me, but I have to do it. I'm going <laughs> to explode. And runs into Byron and it's obvious that Byron is feeling the same (laughs) also has a lot of feelings and piccadilly's like oh oh shit oh this could happen oh i kind of wish it would and then they separate and it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. and from then on out you know that piccadilly is chasing the wrong man (laughs) like that it's fine to have a crush on on this guy but it's byron who really wants piccadilly Mm -hmm. and you get the sense at the end that Piccadilly is coming to that realization. Yeah. That is that that that's where it's going to head, and that there are more books that are maybe from someone else's perspective mm-hmm. to watch this romance from the outside, mm. which I think is lovely and interesting in a lot of ways. Can I read a passage from the sex scene between Reuben and Malord? Yes, please. Um, this is. Uh, the, my reason for reading this particular passage is twofold. One, to give our listeners an insight into how beautiful this prose is. Um, and two, just because I think it's a, it's a really interesting and refreshing uh, take on love in general. 
So I'm going to read this right now. Oh, also, this book is written in a dialect. I'd like to dive into that a little bit later, but... Oh, we will, because so I remember I listened to this book. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. We'll put a pin in it, but just so you're aware, uh, listeners, as I'm about to read this. I'm not going to do an accent. <laughs> he weren't exactly looking dimmer with Reuben using him so ruthless-like, his hair all tangled from Reuben's fingers and water streaking down his cheeks and pooling round his lips, and I was pretty damn sure it weren't gentlemanly. Oh, but it was summit kind of perfect seeing him with everything torn away except whatever this was. Love, maybe. Not the sort they write about. Not the pretty sort that redeems your wicked ways and lets you live happily ever after. Not the sort that keeps you warm at night. But the burning kind. Raw and ugly and true. Oh, I love it. Oh, it was so good. It was was so good. It really, really was. It was elevated it was delightful the language was so interesting um yeah and and it was like and i again i read this one first so reading the other one afterwards was utterly disappointing (laughs) it's it's hard not to compare these two books i mean more so than usual just because they have so many elements that are similar but then also we did just read them but yeah it's like like you said, one is one is a marshmallow and one is a five-layer cake. That's like, them's the breaks. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's anyway. Uh, yes, let's talk about the dialect. Let's talk about the dialect. So I um, found this especially interesting because I actually kind like some of it was not unfamiliar to me because of research that I did for something that I wrote not too long ago. So I wrote a short play about uh it's called an anti-language called polari which was used by queer people in london predominantly in the uh first half of the 20th century as a way to like identify each other but then also as a way to discuss things in public that would have gotten them arrested and one of the origins of polari is uh, a dialect uh i think it was called polar parlay something like that i mean they're based on the same word polare which is to speak in italian just spelt differently and it was used by like traveling uh circus performers and like traveling carnival folk um and so they, they stem into each other. So some of the dialect in here, I was like, oh, like, I recognize that. And then, like, the the sentence structure and sort of the word structure is is very much of, like, you know, a, quote, gutter snipe of the time. And I found that very interesting. But then, at the same time, there was really uh, modern phrases in there as well, like, really anachronistic uh, phrases. Like, there's a, there's a point where he says duh there's another point where it's like something is blank as shit and he says whatever quite a bit and like it it was a little jarring to me in that i could tell that this author put a lot of research into like the dialect that they wanted piccadilly to speak in so the fact that there's these anachronistic very modern phrases in them i was like is this sort of like 
I mean, like, maybe it's sort of a thematic uh, coupling of, oh, well, we have this, like, revisionist history where things are more modern, so I'm going to do that to the language as well. And it's interesting, but I don't know. It just felt kind of jarring to me. What did, how, what did you feel, Claire? It never really... Uh, it only felt jarring once. Um, I think a particular use of the word totally... And it was a little bit Southern California, the way it came out. <laughs> totally. But just that once, like the other times, uh, I never, it never really stood out to me. And I, I haven't done as much research into the dialect or into word usage. So I, I also, uh, it didn't feel anachronistic t- to me mm. at any time. So I don't know if it actually was. To be fair, I don't know if the way that we use whatever now is the is a new way versus the way they use whatever then. I, I just genuinely don't know. In these cases, I just had to trust the writer because mm-hmm. I was on board for everything else. I might as well be on board for this. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, there are a lot of um, words and like s- sentence structures that and phrases that feel very modern but actually have been around for several hundred years. Um, and it's like authors kind of tread the line of, do I use them because it's accurate or do I avoid them because it will read as modern to people? But like the word duh, it's from the fifties. <laughs> like it's only been around since the 1950s. So it's like, so, it, and then I don't know, like, I, I feel that some of it was purposeful and I don't quite understand why, but that's just me. Mm. Okay. Yeah. No, I also, you know, I, I genuinely don't know. So I felt like immersed. It, did, right. it never really pulled me out. So you listened to it. How was that? I did listen to it. Well, if you would indulge me, um, I would like to play a little bit for you. Um, this is the very first, uh, the very first chapter. I've skipped over just the chapter headings mm-hmm. because the the British man who reads this has a very posh British accent. Oh that no! He, that he employs for the chapter headings. Oh, okay. That he does not employ for Piccadilly. So. Oh, great, great, great. I ain't never been one for truth-telling, and all that shite about what your father was called and where you was squeezed yowling out your mother. But this here tale ain't your everyday moonshine. See, it begins with a town called Prosperity. It don't really matter how I came to be there, because back in them days, everybody was going. Where I heard it, the rush started because of this one cull who got himself an airship and took to the skies over gaslight. He went up there with pockets full of sweet fuck all and came down again with enough phlogiston to light up England for a year. So, yeah. Oh, that's so, fun. Phlogiston is phlogiston, what it was. Phlogiston, that's what it was. Yeah, no, and it was, it was actually, it's very sweet, but I'm also going to let you in on something else. I didn't listen to it at that speed. Um, did you listen to it super fast and now we're going to play it that way and that's when folks started buying up the sky turning nowhere places like prosperity into somewhere places leastways for the sort of folk who didn't have now to stay put for or had something to run from and them as rather go clutching at dreams than turn their forepaws to honest graft it makes him sound like a robot Oh, he was very cockney. Like, because you get used to um, a speed and a half pretty quickly. And then, Mm -hmm. like, going back down starts to feel like molasses. Um, (laughs) 
and, and but it made him extremely cockney. <laughs> like he's just... he, he's got a pretty accurate gaslight accent for mm-hmm. for like it, at at regular speed, where mm-hmm. it's somebody who's at least been around like uh, a certain class of Londoners, mm-hmm. um, somebody who's uh, who's you know been associated with all kinds of groups who has had a certain amount of learning. Um, who isn't like steeped in one particular culture? So it absolutely had that vocally, but when you speed it up, it's Cockney all the way, my friends. This yeah. person has never seen an Englishman, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 it, every once in a while I did have to stop it and have to like re-listen to a word again because mm-hmm. it, because the vocabulary in this book was amazing. But I will say, um, Malord absolutely stayed very much in like the highfalutin like malord mm-hmm. talk so very posh sounding still mm-hmm. um byron yeah, k that uh, was a sorry that was part of malord's characteristic too is that he was like from the north country mm-hmm. and there were moments where that accent would come through yeah uh byron k still had uh this the actor who did the reading was absolutely brilliant like they did a great job uh byron k still had this like languinous sort of like sweet tones that was also uh very like draw you in and um very sensual so uh and it was great like it was great uh i think lady gray was my or miss gray was my favorite as far as like uh characterizations in the book go um whenever you have a single narrator who's a man um and they always they they tend to go into their head voice for ladies and mm-hmm. sometimes it's okay, and sometimes it's horrific. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he did a great job. It's a little bit of head voice, but it's not too much. Mm-hmm. But Miss Gray is fabulous in this. Oh, my God. She's like this, the best. Oh, I loved her 100% so much. Like, okay, so she's drugged out all the time because she sees monsters in her head. And my very favorite thing is after she's taken some opium... And had a kind of a rough day. She goes, oh, I need, I need at least three whores. <laughs> she leaves. And he's like, and, and Piccadilly's like, did she mean that? And it was like, yeah, no, she's, she's definitely, she's, she's going to go get three whores. <laughs> there's, there's one point where she goes to, so Gap Tooth Alice or Miss Alice is the, the lady of the body house. And there's, and she and Miss Gray have kind of a thing going on that's very cute. And there's a, there's a scene where Miss Gray approaches uh, Miss Alice and is like, I'll have six of your most ardoise whores, please. <laughs> Good girl. I'd like to read another passage. Oh, first, real quick, before I forget, okay. but just because sure, sure, I sure. love this so much, uh, the very last thing we really hear from the two of them is uh, Alice says to Miss Gray, uh, I just need you to know I am not a one-woman whore. And Miss Gray says, well, I'm not a one-whore woman. <laughs> Oh my god, the scene where um, my lord's ex is like a clockwork zombie who comes back and Miss Alice pokes her head out and is like, I am trying to fuck. (laughs) So good. Okay. Um, So this is Miss Gray talking about. um, uh, So she sees sees monsters that are actually real like there are these things called kraken who live in the ether and she's able to sort of like touch into it and sense them and she's 
She says, a learned doctor wrote a paper on me. He was a most peculiar fellow. He kept asking if I had been violated, and when I told him that no, I had not, he wanted to know if I had inappropriate fantasies, such as, did I sometimes desire to be tied up or flogged? And when I said that I did not, he looked so disappointed that I confessed to him my sapphism in an effort to console him. That made him terribly excited, and he published a paper about how my early traumatic experiences with the male organ had nurtured in me a derangement that manifested in paranoid delusions about tentacled monstrosities from beyond space and time. She smiled, her batshit smile. You can surely imagine what a great relief it was to me when Byron Kay sought me out and assured me that there actually are tentacled monstrosities from beyond space and time that have absolutely nothing to do with phalluses. <laughs> So good. Also, I love to like. She is kind of like. She's like, oh, bitch. I don't care about every single person except for Byron K. And she is so loyal to Byron K. That when they get back into the dock after the ship was attacked, and Ruben and Malor just like fuck off to go be broody and angry somewhere, not together, and then. Miss Gray's like, well, I guess it's up to me then. And she, like, rallies people to, like, start repairs on the ship and to help take care of Byron. And she's just, like... So it's it's so nice to see, like, yeah, she's this, like, dr- quote, drugged-out madwoman, but that she also is just, like, so fiercely devoted to Byron in a way that was, like, really sweet to see. And, like, really explained why she was there instead mm-hmm. of just, like, being... Why, like why she was there instead of just like high off of her tits on opium at the body house 24 seven. Right. Yeah. No. And it was, um, and I think I want to say like the tone of the monsters. So the Kraken and, um, and the ether and how you can see ether was all very Lovecraftian in that (laughs) these things are horrific monsters that nobody likes. This is not an enjoy, like it's not an enjoyable monster that we can, we can survive. Like this is hardcore stuff and seeing those things or being able to see ether itself will make you crazy a little bit, (laughs) Um, which is something I've always respected. I, I don't have, I, Sorry, readers and listeners, I don't actually like a lot of Lovecraft. I just don't. <laughs> I don't get it. I think it's dumb. I'm sorry. But <laughs> I do like everything, a lot of the things that have come out of it. And mm-hmm. one of those things being that fear, like if you were to look in the face of God and this God, it would drive you crazy. And <laughs> like, you're not going to be sane after something like that. And that's something I've always appreciated and something that translates really well to prosperity, the book, mm-hmm. um, in a way that also is not um, unkind to people who suffer any sort of mental um, disability or need or any of that. So it was, uh, it was great. And also all of the danger, all of the stakes that I was missing from book from our first book that we read is here in so much of it everything has high stakes Mm -hmm. everything is a big deal every single time we're on the edge of that airship uh we are reminded that it is high off the fucking ground (laughs) Mm -hmm. um every single time we're walking down a dangerous alley we are walking down a dangerous alley there is no safe place um Malord never becomes a safe person never becomes somebody who might not kill our main character and even when they're kissing each other, Malord could kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you never stop feeling that way. And it's like, it's great. It was so good. 
Yeah. There is so much to get into with this book. Uh, I mean, I feel like we've just sort of grazed the Kraken monsters, but honestly, like, there's too much to tell you. There's too there's, much. There's too much. Just to touch on that a little bit, so towards the end, they they are coming back to prosperity to see that there's a rift in the sky and Krakens have come out and are basically tearing prosperity in half. And that they realize that it was somebody did it. Like a person did some really terrible ritual to tear the sky open. And it was seated in that he, for his blood sacrifice, it was when Malord was attacked by the zombie, the clockwork zombie X, he had some goons with him and they just like left those bodies in the street. So then this person was able to like use it, use those bodies and in, in their dark rituals to summon the Kraken. And like, I liked that it was the, the chaplain or the priest of prosperity who like had come to lose his faith in God and decided, or, and, and like, transferred it to the kraken he's like oh they're they're gods etc etc i i wish it had been built built up a little bit more which is hard to do because most of the book is them not in prosperity or a good chunk of the book is them not in prosperity so that seemed to kind of feel a little rough like i understood it but it it didn't feel hinted at enough to me yeah so that's one one small um uh Ding. Criticism that I have of this book. Another one is there are two like tiny world building things that it, it's just like oh sky hooks and that's what keeps ships and and the city in the air and everybody talks about them because everybody knows what they are but it's never really explained to us. It's like oh is the city like so these hooks just like hanging in the air and the city's like dangling from them and like we sort of discover that that's true when the city's being torn apart. And, like, that wasn't quite explained because everybody, like, there's no reason for characters to talk about it because they all know. But then, like, it isn't explained to us, the readers. And then another thing, too, is when Piccadilly, or Dill was the nickname of his, uh, discovers that Byron Kay is an ethermancer. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And then th that's the end of the conversation because everybody involved knows what an ethermancer is. And, like, it becomes very clear to us that that means that Byron K is connected to the ship and that they can travel through the ether instead of, but it's like, is the, is there more to it than that? Or is it stuff that the author's saving in their pocket to throw at us at exciting moments? Like I, I didn't quite get a sense of like what all being an ethermancer entailed. Yeah. I so. thought, I thought that the ethermancer thing was definitely something that because this was, memoirs that were taken as part of a larger book or a larger world series that this is like sort of a special edition just for fans it seemed like that mm. that may be more explained in other things um the air hooks thing i honestly started to think was a joke because ev almost every single chapter heading included and on air hooks. <laughs> and honestly, I just felt like it was like, yeah, tell me more about those. And the author was like, mm -mm. No, I'm going to no. tease that I'm going to do it. Every and honestly, fuck it. That's great. If that was the author's intention, I'm all right. Fine. <laughs> sure, 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 yeah, sure. The city hangs on air hooks and I'll tell you how not. No. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> I, I accept it. Whatever. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I have to say about this very wonderful book that I think everybody should read. Indeed. That is all I have to say as well. Um, yeah. That was that book. That was that book. All right, Neil. 
Yes, Claire. Should we do it? I think we should. Are you ready? Are you ready? Fuck Mary Kill. 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 All right. You you go first. Okay, Claire. Yes, Neil. Fuck Mary Kill. Uh huh. Captain Duke. Mm-hmm. Ruben still Crow. sounds weird. <laughs> Crane? Crane. Sorry. My Crow. writing is so terrible. I think it's Crow. It's Crow. Okay. I'll try again. Captain Duke. Mm-hmm. Ruben Crow. Mm-hmm. Or Byron K. Oh, um, I am going to marry Byron K. Yeah. I'm going to live with Byron K forever, and Byron K will love me, and I will get to fly in their airship, and they are delightful, and I love them. When Not they tra- airship. Ethership. Ethership. It's but when, fancy. When they turn around, they have such an amazing uh, outfit that it <gasps> like sheds rainbows about. I know. They just and their eyes are black with starlight in them. Oh, they taste like the stars. Ah, oh, so amazing. Yeah. So no. Amazing. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I am mm-hmm. marrying Byron K. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I am definitely going to fuck Reuben Crow because mm-hmm. uh, sounds like he is good at it. Yes. Even when he's depressed, even when he wishes <laughs> he was fucking somebody else, it's going to be good. Yeah. Also, the scene where Piccadilly is finally putting the moves <laughs> on uh, on Reuben and finally being like, this is my opportunity. I'm going to do it. And that scene was so funny because Ruben is like, yeah, no, we'll do this. But then it's like they can't quite figure out how they're going to start because they both know it's kind of wrong and they're not mm-hmm. into it. And they try flirting and that doesn't really work. They're like, well, maybe we should just like say we're going to do it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's go upstairs and have sex. And I'm like, I don't know. That was too blunt. Maybe we should like just go upstairs and start. <laughs> And then I love to, they're kissing, and then Gaptooth Alice is like, rent a room, it's only a bob. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Beautiful. Uh, no, so, absolutely. I mean, and I'm sure, I mean, for being somebody who is written as airy as the ship he flies in, uh-huh. <laughs> with many holes and unknowns, mm-hmm. but I'm going to have to kill him. I have to kill captain duke because i know nothing about him yeah he makes yeah. Po- like i don't I, I i know nothing about him yeah i knew this was unfair to captain duke but it was just like oh the you know the two captains and then the other guy that we all want to fuck would be uh a good fuck mary kill but but like it is unfair to captain duke because he's he's like a cardboard cutout of robin hood wearing a pirate hat so mm-hmm. I'm also going to kill him, which I mean, like I do feel sad about. I appreciate that his um, his ship, for the most part, is a bastion of enlightenment, except when it comes to racism and probably queer people. That would be my guess. I mean, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're gonna kill him. I'm gonna fuck Robin Crow, Reuben Crow, because he sounded so sexy all so the sexy. Damn time so sexy and he was um a former boxer who didn't still have a boxer's body but also didn't let himself go mm-hmm. a former boxer 
with the body who also used to be a preacher who stopped preaching because he got in trouble because he felt that like love between people was just as divine as love with God. Yeah, it's humanism. It's just, he's effusing humanism and I want to fuck him for it. And then I am also going to marry Byron Kay because they are amazing. Yes. We'll, we'll read beautiful literature together. They'll take me to the stars and back and they just make rainbows happen around them all the time. And I love it. Yeah, no, absolutely. 100%. Okay, Claire, your turn. Yes. All right, Neil. Yes. Fuck, marry, kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, air pirates. Okay. So pirates in the air. Sure, sure, sure. Um, miners, air miners, like whatever they're mining, they're doing mm-hmm. so in the air. Mm-hmm. Or being a madam in charge of a whorehouse, also in the air. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to marry air pirates mm-hmm. because of the adventure. And I personally, I don't know what it is. Anytime there is an airship that basically looks like a pirate ship, but is in the air. I fucking love it. I love it every single time it has big sails and that makes it fly in the air. I fucking love it. I don't know why, but I always do. So I'm going to marry those air pirates and, um, Except for my lord, all the air pirates that we saw were great. They were great people to be around. Um, I'm going to... Did I say fuck? I meant marry. I think you said marry. Okay. I'm going to marry them. I'm going to fuck being a madam at a body house. Because I think it would be fun. Um, Also, I imagine... the, the quality of that life is entirely dependent on the quality of the town that you are in the air of, for, yeah. with, whom. Um, because if if you're in prosperity, that's not a fun life to live. Well, I mean, Miss <laughs> Alice seems like she has a lot of fun. She seemed like she was doing great. But she also has, you know, she has, she has, you can't, you can't like pick up and go somewhere else if you feel that you would be better off somewhere else. Her rooms are only a bob. Her rooms are only a bob. Um, so I'm going to fuck being a madam. I think it'd be fun. I, f- ah, I, I feel like I'd be one of the madams with like the, the beautiful dresses and the feathers in her hair. And oh, it'd be lovely. Um, and then I don't, I don't want to, but I'm going to kill sky miners, air miners, miners in the air. Because it just doesn't interest me as a reader. As important as it is to the economy, I'm sure, and as much as I support people having jobs, and they're probably underpaid anyway. Um, I mean, yeah. is there anything like the gold rushers? They're just, um, they're just people who end up being gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's when I'm going to kill them. Yeah, I've never seen a movie about a 49er and thought, I want to fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Claire? Oh, all the same. All the same things. Yeah, yeah, just absolutely. Um, There's part of me that does want to marry being a madam. Like, you know what? You know, maybe a certain amount of that life actually seems like super fun. You could... Some of it could be very posh, some of it very dangerous, just as dangerous as being an air pirate. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not flying all the time, which yeah. I like, but I also get the feeling, ugh, I might be the one that gets airsick. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be me. And that's a shame. Yeah, I enjoy um, the trope of them befriending the madam because some of her clientele are like the movers and shakers, like the politicians and the rich people. So they're able to like get secrets from them because mm-hmm. those people are shitty to the sex workers. And this is them getting their comeuppance. Love that trope. Love it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, the characters? All of them? Okay. I'm going to fuck Miss Gray slash Miss Alice. <laughs> because I feel like at least five other people would be involved. She's also exceedingly tall. She's like 11 foot tall or something. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, she's like six foot tall. She's a very tall lady. Miss Gray? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Love it. I love a tall lady. Um, so yeah, I'm going to fuck them. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Um... I'm going to kill my lord because he was a garbage person, but he was supposed to be a garbage person. Yes. So I wasn't angry at the book. I was angry at him as a character. Yes. And I I was angry at Ruben because Ruben should know better. But like his, his tragic flaw is like wanting to save, wanting to redeem my lord who is irredeemable. And that's just Listen like, up, ladies. Trying to fix people with your love is a tragic flaw, <laughs> not a good one. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so I'm going to kill him, and then I'm going to marry Byron Kay, because they are the fucking best. I Miss Gray is also amazing. I feel like I don't want to tie her down with marriage, which is why I wouldn't marry her, but I want to <laughs> hang out with her all the goddamn time. What about you, Claire? Um, all the same things. All the same Great. things. I mean, like, we didn't include anybody else from the other book, because honestly, who were they? They were nobody. They were air. They're floosh. They're gone. <laughs> <laughs> floosh. Floosh. <laughs> I feel like Cat and Mouse were the most fleshed out characters of that book. I mean, yeah. I mean, there was, there was also the, the guy. Trick. Trick. I enjoyed Trick. I, I enjoyed was Trick. The gentle giant um, first mate. Yeah. Yeah. Trick was interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, but honestly, yes. Agree. Cat and Mouse. It was like, why aren't we? I just let's just read a book about Cat and Mouse. Let's. I'd love it. The adventures of these two children who were adopted by a pirate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. And not mm-hmm. only that, like when their father died, they had to go hunt him down. The adventures they were on when they had to hunt down this pirate who's in the goddamn sky. That as a young adult series, oh yeah, you'll make millions. You'll make yeah. millions. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, it's great. That as I loved them. Um, oh, great. Okay. Sorry. Of the books, what are you going to do with the books? Oh, I mean, I'm going to marry Prosperity. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. I, and I want everybody to marry it. Please, please. This is a very quick read, and it is also a wonderful listen. So go out and get this book. Like. Listen to it on audio, because it is an excellent audio. So, yeah. No, go get this book. Um, and I'm going to kill the other one. I don't have the patience in me to look at, to, to, to download the rest of the books, mm-hmm. which makes the book. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't have the patience to do that. I'm not really interested. These characters didn't really grab me. It kept things secrets that didn't need to be kept secret. I didn't honestly know why it was in the air. It easily could have just been a regular old story on a regular old ship. Mm-hmm. There was at no point where I felt like this needed to be steampunk, um, except for that this author probably felt that was the only way ladies could get any sort of rights is if it was steampunk but honestly you can just give people rights in your books that are fiction (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like when people make the argument of historical accuracy yeah fuck you (laughs) okay either the book needs to be about how fucking shitty that is or you want people to escape from things and you're writing to a modern audience and modern audiences want I, i hope I hope I speak for all of modern audiences when I say, I know that I don't, but when I say that I want to see gender equality, I want to see no racism, no homophobia. Like I want people to be treated like people because that's the escapist world that I want to live in. I mean, so, and, the, and like the, steampunk is escapist literature. Yeah. So just like make people not racist. It's not that hard. Sadly. I mean, and the thing that pisses me off, too, is whenever anybody says, oh, well, this is historically accurate, I say, I am sorry, you are a lazy researcher. Because quite honestly, there were black people in positions of power throughout the entire world, throughout almost most of our history. This is not like you go to, yeah, was it a little bit of an aberration? Sure. 100%. But let me tell you what, the guy who wrote The Three Musketeers was a black man. (laughs) And he was higher up in society, and he absolutely made money, and he had children and people. So, you know, fuck you. You are deciding that it didn't exist because you watched two movies and didn't see any black people in it and couldn't possibly think that it was the racism of the current day creators who were looking back on that world and inserting their own bias. I, uh, angry. Huh. I didn't know that Alexandre Dumas was black. He was. Great. He's mixed. He's mixed race. He was a mixed race man. Sure. Okay. Um, I am also going to marry Prosperity. I love it. I love it so. And just like the... So the trope of the like uneducated person having a tremendous amount of insight is beautiful when done well, but can very easily be done poorly. And this book did it so well that it's like Piccadilly's observations obviously came from experiences of his life and he was a profoundly insightful human being that got a raw deal in his birth and like where he ended up in life until he found people that were supportive of him he was able to learn to read and so that gave him access to to more of the world and human understanding and it was just so lovely and so good so i'm gonna marry it and then the stowaway debutante, like, it's such a good setup that just falls so flat. Yeah. And, and, and there's a little bit of racism that I don't want to excuse, but also, like, my bar of what I want to kill is just, like, 
so skewed now from doing this uh this podcast that's like oh well she was not a a dumb self-doubting woman with no self-esteem he was not jealous or possessive nothing icky happened other than her saying orientals which is gross so it's like do i want to kill it or am i is this like how i don't understand how rent should cost because i live in san francisco and my frame of (laughs) reference is just so damn skewed so i think i'm just gonna beat it up (laughs) you're just gonna enact some violence on it yeah i'm not gonna kill it but i am gonna i mean to be fair i mean should we kill anything that's a first draft (gasps) boom bish (laughs) bish bish Ooh, bish Uh, yeah i i would bet you absolutely anything that if we took the the first like three books of this series and like somebody gave like an editor gave her some notes and she worked real hard that would be a good book single book anyway yeah i'm just gonna beat it up yeah okay but i do think it's time for our favorite game our favorite game which is christine yes Yes. hi Hi. Hi. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Okay. After being recharged from reading Prosperity, I'm okay if you give us shitty books, Claire. Okay. Well, I probably will. I probably will. Um, uh, And I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to pick out the theme very quickly. Okay. Okay. Or maybe not. Who knows? The first book, Neanderthal Seeks Human. Oh my goodness. By Penny Reed. Mm-hmm. The second book, Knit, Pearl, a Baby, and a Girl by by Hetty Bell. Um To be fair, for the Neanderthal Seeks Human, uh, I did leave out the extended title. Okay. Because that gives it away. That, that gives it away. Okay. Um, I want to say, uh, I'm, I'm thinking something like evolutionary biologist or some kind of sci- scientist like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Will you accept paleontologist as my other guess? <laughs> no. I mean, I'll accept it as a yeah, guess, but it is incorrect. It the wrong guess. Thank you. Yeah. Is it? It's not neanderthals is it it is not it is not the neanderthals it's also not cavemen so if we wanted to generalize to cave people that is a future one the The second one's like knit pearl baby is that what knit pearl a baby and a girl pearl a baby and a girl and then neanderthal neanderthal thinks seeks human so yeah um Oh my God, Claire! You're like, you'll pick it out so easily. I know. Here's a knitting circle about? and a cave person. What the fuck are you talking knitting about, Claire? And cave people. So, um, I will. I, I guess the only thing I'm thinking that they have in common are sheep. Sheep herders. <laughs> Ooh, that might be interesting. Um, okay. Wait, wait, wait. I, will... I, I want to do one more. One more. Okay. Um, 
I feel like like le- lecture series lecturers lecturers Ooh. interesting no okay I will now read out the full title okay okay Neanderthal seeks human knitting in the city book one and the other book is knit pearl a baby and a girl so it's knitting circle it's, it's knitting, knitting. It's- okay <laughs> I don't get the Claire, Neanderthal. Claire. What do Neanderthals have to do with knitting? I honestly still don't know. Okay. Like I've kind of like I I looked over the I looked over the thing very quickly. You know me. I don't actually read that too much, but I was like, I guess we'll discover in a couple weeks what that means. Oh gosh. Um, Penny Reed is actually a writer I've been kind of wanting us to read for a while, but I wanted her us to read one of her other books, which is about beards and men with beards. Oh. Um, but do you mean um, physically beards or yeah, physically beards? Slang. They have beards. Okay. Yes. But I was going to pair that with men who had beards, the slang. <laughs> <laughs> but um, honestly, like this book came up, and I was like knitting in the city, and I was like, I wonder if there is an LGBT, and there it was. So I was like, okay, we're doing this. We're doing knitting. Who? Sorry, what's it called? Knit, knit pearl a baby girl. Uh, knit pearl a baby and a girl okay because i think this has been on my list also uh i'll look later but that sounds vaguely familiar (laughs) i thought the first one was um i thought you were gonna say it was uh chuck tingle <laughs> it sounded like a Chuck Tingle title, and I was like, "Oh boy, here we go." I did think like <laughs> the title did make me think. I was like, "Well, we haven't read Clan of the Cave Bear yet." <laughs> it's true. It's true. I don't know if I want to. I've I've read part of Clan of the Cave Bear, and it is not a delightful read. Oh, that okay. is a movie, right? It is also yeah. A movie. I, I I've definitely with, seen part of the movie. Is it with Daryl Hannah? Right. That's right. Yeah. I think I often, when it was on, like, cable when I was younger, got it confused with uh, Conan the Barbarian. Like, I I very much cannot distinguish them in my my brain. My child Um, brain that was allowed to watch cable at five years old for some reason. I get uh, Conan the Barbarian and Beastmaster together all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Beastmaster has the ferret in it. That is my big takeaway of it. And, uh, oof, okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like his his friend, his sidekick friend. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. Uh, yeah. One of the beasts. All right. Okay. Well, I suppose that's all we have to say. Oh, oh yeah, no, no, no. Thank you, Claire. Yeah, no, thank you, Neil. Thank you, Christine. Thank, thank you so you. much, Christine. Thank you. thank you, listeners. Thank you very much, listeners. Thank you, authors. Oh, big thank you to our authors. We realize we sometimes rip these things apart, but this is a joy. We've we've taken joy from this and stolen it for ourselves and ridden off in an airship with it. Plus, they have our money, so <laughs> yeah, 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 honestly. So jokes yeah. on us. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, so, listeners, please, if you like what we do, please tell your friends, your lovers, your madams, your sky captains. <laughs> 
and as long as you can do so um, safely and um, with consent and um, maybe not from a great height unless you are absolutely secure. Unless you are in a captain's cabin. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Key. Key.